evening and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. We'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Tonight we're fortunate enough to be speaking with Nick Hovey from Hovey's Working Dogs. Nick will be picking who he thinks has asked the best question of the night and I'll win a bag of Enduro high food for Working Dogs with Real Kangaroo Meat. Hey Nick, how are you going? Yeah, good thanks Laura. How are you? Yeah, good thank you. How's it feel being back on Dog Talk? Yeah, it's weird being on the uh, on the interviewee end. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about weird, mate. That's a nice jacket you got there. Thank you. It's my ugly sweater. Is your oh, ugly sweater. Yeah. It looks anything but, mate. Thank you. Thank you, mate. Um, what kind of day uh, was up for you today? Um, we carted. Oh, I carted some yearling heifers across to one of our. Um, Blocks about 25 k's up the road and cut the two-year-old heifers due to calve um, back home. So got to I, I had our little Mitsubishi canner. It's about 18 foot long, and I was following the big boys in the in the semis. Oh, how cute! Yeah, it was it was a bit cute. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, for people out there that may not Nick know Nick Hovey, mate, you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Where you're from? Where you work? Yep. Um, so I grew up in Sydney and, uh, well, actually I grew up sort of all over the place, Sydney, Adelaide, Melbourne, and then Sydney again, and um, have sort of moved, you know, moved to a couple of different jobs since I left school. One was at Goulburn uh, on a big sheep place there. Then went to a, a Wagyu and, um, and sheep or mixed farming enterprise at Illibo. Then all sheep again at uh, Frogmore, about 8,000 acres, and it was 32,500 sheep when I left and um, started here at Blue E nine and a half years ago and have never looked back. So we're all cattle, um, breeding composite, uh, Angus Shorthorn original base, and then have thrown some uh, Simmental and, and US um US-based composite genetics into the mix, testing for feed efficiency and, yeah, selling upwards of 50 bulls a year. It, Do you mind like, why they're moving around when you were younger? Um, just getting experience, getting, um, you know, like I was I was pretty pretty green when I went to Goulburn. Um I bought my first dog when I was living in Sydney and, and working in the Hawkesbury uh, and sort of got him half started, first Kelpie dog. And I was actually a member of the Hawkesbury Club and out there, you know, as many Saturdays as I could. Um, but, yeah, just just gaining more experience. And and then when I, when I saw the job where I am now, uh, I just looked at it and I, I love working cattle, um, I really wanted to to pursue working cattle with my dogs as well, and um and the program yeah the program just looked amazing so I thought I'll I tick most of those boxes um and and applied for the job. Yeah, a back a step from that. I mean the Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney. Oh uh, yeah, right. Um, Dad's work. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Dad Dad changed a few few jobs and he was he was pretty high up in. Um, in various companies, so yeah, we shifted shifted about a bit, which I wouldn't recommend to everyone. Um, 
it's hard starting, you know, starting a new school halfway through the year yeah. and um, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. If a young fella ending up with a Kelpie dog in the Hawkesbury, mate, how how that come to be? Um, so mum's mum's sister married a farmer up at Glagenbone, so yeah, past Dubbo. Yep. And we spent well, we spent as many holidays there as we could. And it was really one, you know, one set of holidays a year. And he had some really good dogs when I was growing up. He was all sheep, sheep wheat, um, which they're actually, I've since found out, that his main dog that I, one of his main dogs that I remember was, was actually a red, um, sort of medium-coated collie, like a tri-coloured fella. And he was cool. Like, he was a big dog from what I remember. I would have been maybe four. Um, so I, I just I just loved, loved dogs. Grew up every, I always wanted one. Mum and dad always said I could never have a dog, which was fair enough, but... I was still living there and um, had a job out in the Hawkesbury and I sort of said to my boss at the time, I was like, look, if I get a dog, can I bring him to work every day? Won't, won't work him on, on the cattle there. And he said, yeah, that's fine. So I went and bought a pup, took him home and got in a whole lot of trouble. But, um, yeah, I've never looked back. I think we've all done that one. Bought the, yeah. bought the dog home and got in trouble. Yeah, but the size of size of mum and dad's backyard, um, <laughs> yeah, it would never have worked if I wasn't going out every day. Um, and I ended up, I was working there with um, with Al McLaren at, at Sweet and Angus and working there during the week, um, doing a bit of TAFE. And then on weekends, I was also out at Tabrook Sheep Station. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I always had that dog with me everywhere I went. It's funny you mentioned Tobruk. I think they've got a lease up for that or it's for sale at the moment. I've seen the sold, sold a little while ago to Sydney people. To yeah, okay. Yeah, cool. And, mate, when you're in Sydney, like, what were your aspirations? You always wanted to be out on property? Like, that was a given? Or was there another career path you thought of following? Um, I did. I did at one stage want to go down the animal nutrition route. Um, be a nutritionist but really like from as long as I can remember I wanted to be a farmer and my brother wanted to go into the army and we both did what we wanted to do um, so that was that was pretty cool um, and you both yeah. ended up playing around on podcasts what's that you both ended up playing around on podcasts yeah that's true I forgot yeah. I sent you, sent you his war dogs podcast yeah yeah enjoy listening to that too mate so um, what was what was sorry? What was the other avenue you you thought about? Oh, animal, animal nutrition. Animal nutrition. Years. What what um, deterred you from animal nutrition and go down there? Uh, I I actually did eight weeks at uni and I hated it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, like it just wasn't for me. Uh, and I I went down to to Sweden, um up in Cadi and had a you know, a week there that was just supposed to be my, my study week, but, you know, doing a bit of work for, for Al, just helping him out and ended up offering me a job. So I just, yeah, I had to take it. Beautiful. Beautiful. And, and now Blue E, mate. Um, Connor, do you want to tell us what you breed for there? Like you're yeah, so, a, bit, a little bit unique, right? Yeah, so we select, um, you know, have, have – 
been selecting and testing for feed efficiency for the longest in the world, like out of any herd. Um, the the trainee, trainee research project is where my boss got the, the taste for it. Uh, and now that, that research project you know finished up and he took the idea of breeding for feed efficiency on uh, and decided to do it with, with a crossbred animal. And, um, yeah, it's been a hard slog for the business in the, the 25 years, especially with the rise of, of Angus and things. Um, but, yeah, so we're, we're really – feed efficiency is a, a huge goal, a huge focus, and but we, we're not limiting ourselves. Like, they've got to be fertile. They've got to have good growth, muscularity. They've got to be structurally sound um, and, and, and feed efficiency. So they're, they're our five main pillars of – of breeding and um yeah the, the results pay off yeah absolutely mate um i was gonna I'm ask just looking at a question coming here my god oh, i might ask this one a bit later <laughs> so, you're right laura sorry what was that um louis there out near cowra um but You've been all over the state and everything. Is there something about Bluey that's kept you there for nine years? Um, yeah, just how how interesting the program is, and um, like how yeah how involved I am in it. Um, a lot of the day to day runnings, yeah, you know, and management decisions are, are, are shared um, with myself and, and my boss John and, and the other fellow I work with, Danny. Like it's it's a pretty inclusive environment. Um, we've got some really high-tech uh, gear from Canada called Vitelli, um, Vitelli gear or was Grow Safe Systems, and they're individual feed bunks that are all on load cells. Only one animal can access those feed bunks at a time, and so we know exactly what the animals are eating, um, what, what, what animal is eating and, and how much they're eating at any given time. And um, that's over, yeah, over a 70-day period. So that's, yeah, big part of just the interesting part of the program is why why I'm where I am today. And I've got my own stud cows that are, that are run between here and an adjustment block um, and, you know, combined into the herd. So, yeah. Are you, are you a breakout for farming in your own family? Um, yeah, I'm probably... I'm a throwback, so <laughs> um, or, or or a comeback as the Marinos would call it, because mum's mum's grand uh, mum's father was really little, probably about four, and they walked off at a off a farm at Angonia out near Burke. Yep. Um, yeah, in the the roaring early 1900s drought, um, and so that's yeah, I, I've I've gone back in. Um, would love to buy my own place, but cost of property at the moment is a bit out of hand, so don't know how we'll do that. And have you had any mentors like working in? Like, obviously, you said you've got a love for cattle there. Like, was that off the back of, of someone else or a few people? Um, yeah, there, there's a few, few big ones in there. Um, like, Al McLaren, who's down there in the Hawkesbury, he he really sort of took me under his wing and, and guided me, um, you know, and, and he believed in me. And, and then when he thought it was ready for me to 
to go to my next job, he said, look, I, I reckon you should, you know, go and have a crack and, and get out there. Um, so without him, I, I probably could say I'm, I wouldn't be where I am now. Um, Alistair, yeah? That's Alistair, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, my boss is a, a pretty big mentor and um, a fellow called Dick Whale, who's our structural assessment. Um, yeah, structural assessment fellow. He's he's great to talk to. Like, he's so passionate about the industry and, um, you know, he's, yeah, he's... He's been there. Um, there's probably a few others, but in, in terms of cattle, but probably I just can't think of it at the moment. Yeah, cool. And, and you mentioned like the setup you guys have there with your feed cells. You actually install these remote in different areas as well, right? Yeah, correct. So yeah. I've done I've done a fair few installs. Um, I've been up to been up to AACO and um. Yeah, and, and Kiwi feedlots and seen some pretty cool operations and pretty cool, you know, different different setups. Um, over at Tamania in New Zealand, where you look out, you know, you're 150 metres from the ocean and you turn around and there's a snow-capped mountain behind you. Like, it was a really cool spot to work. It was cold and wet. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I want to go back. To that spot because it's amazing um we're actually lauren and i are flying out there um to do i'm gonna do a job in ashburton next week yeah wow and, and i can't imagine these kind of setups are, are like cheap to set up so they obviously have to be some great data behind them for people to make that um investment yeah yeah so the data is like high precision um, so the weight of the bunks is being taken every second and yeah, you know, and it's to the, to the gram. Um, so the bunks, the, obviously that's what the feed's sitting in. Yeah. The feed bunkers where, where the feed is. And then I set up to a, a walkover weighing system that actually just takes the, the, the animal steps with their front feet onto the platform as they have a drink. And it's not just take one weight and they go. It's it's taking a weight every second while they're drinking. So you could have you know, an animal drink for 500 seconds in a day. So you've got 500 weights. And that just compiles it down and gets really, really accurate average daily gain. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's really accurate. The Yeah, one of the, one of the cool things is environmentally, it's, um, you know, they're Reduced feed intake is directly correlated with reduced methane output. Which is kind of a bit of the direction that that's a big part of it too, is methane output, right? Yeah, it's it's huge now and it's it's hard because there are people that still believe that, you know, cattle aren't a problem. Um, but I think we just need to to get on with it. Like we can all play our part and and do something. So if we can reduce our methane output by 15 20% um, but also put carbon into the soil and like we can we can make big changes and, and, and big impacts so, so what impact on about impact what impact do your dogs have out there mate how do you use your dogs day to day um mate anywhere from pulling the you know the bulls that are on feed 
into the yards to to weigh them and put them back. Uh, you know, to mustering heifers out in pretty scrubby granite country that's covered in pine trees, and you can hardly see you know what's going on. Um, so yeah, they're they're huge for me, and I wouldn't. I don't I don't like going out and moving a mob of of cattle without my dogs, um, especially a mob of two year old bulls. Two year old bulls just fight like idiots, and you put a couple of dogs in there that know where to, you know, when to to hit an animal um, to break up a fight, whether it's that on the on the front foot or a nose as they pull apart, and it it whips them into shape pretty quickly, and you just go on and get about your job. Like otherwise, you you could end up. Um, you know, you could end up taking a lot longer to muster those bulls, you know, paddock A to paddock D if you had bulls going here, there and everywhere just because they're, they're blueing like teenagers. Yeah. Could you do your job without dogs? Yeah, I could. Yeah. How Would I want to? Would I want to? No. <laughs> I think that's probably the better question. Would you want to? Yeah, no. No, God, no. <laughs> So you want to tell us a little bit about your team? Because I know you've got a few different dogs in there. Yep. Um, so, I mean, we'll start with Bill. Um, I bought him from Alan Munns back in 2018, I think. Um, he, Alan actually rang me up and, and said, I've, oh, I've got a got another dog for you, and it's like, oh, that's handy because the original dog I've bought off here has just broken his leg, and um, so I spent two and a half grand on him in a Blaney Vets with Howard Thompson, getting um, getting a plate and, and six screws put in, and oh. I went and had a look at this dog of at Allen's and sort of thought about it for a week and called him back and said, oh, I think I better take him. Uh, and yeah, so I spent seven and a half grand in on, on you know two dogs in in the week, which look at it now, and that's cheap. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's really cheap. So Bill's been he's done everything with me. Um I can yeah, I can have a lot of fun with him and I can send him up a hill and you know, put three head around some rocks just if I want to or uh, or, you know, like in the scrub, I know that he's got me covered. You know, I can send him out and he'll bring him back. And um, I'm, I'm really happy with that. So my, my next dog, my number two is Craig Lee Sky. And I bought her as a as a pup from um, from Jamie Sturrock, Jamie and Marnie. And she was the, the fluffiest little, cutest little dog you've ever seen and she's the same age as my daughter's um harper's sausage dog probably like two weeks younger and yeah she she terrorized him my brother actually picked her up from um from the transport for me over in bathurst and they had her for about two hours and she at, at eight weeks old had their 12 month old cavoodle just like not wanting to be around because she was yeah, she was pretty full on. So <laughs> we thought this is gonna this is gonna be fun. Um, 
but yeah, she's awesome. Like she's she's pretty pretty clean and like pretty correct. Um, she'll bite she'll bite nose, front foot, and back foot, which again on bulls is is so handy for all three. Um, and I've never really valued the front foot bite because I haven't had it, but it's amazing how quickly I has been able to pull some some animals up because they just they lose that that weapon um and then yeah cat i bought he's a langham cat um out of a out of a dewy tweed bitch that bianca bianca godson bred um yeah i managed to get the only one out of the litter that was for sale and he's developing really nicely sometimes you give me the you know I, sometimes I just can't stand him, but yeah. then um, yeah, ninety percent of the time, yeah, I really like him. So I ended up having to take him to to the Australian Champs because Sky came on heat. So yeah, ran ran him around and um, he was he was pretty good. I got full course in the the cow dog challenge with him, um, which was was pretty cool. And then I've got. Uh, I've got a, a male pup, tricolored pup by Bill out of Sky that I bred 12 months ago and just taking him pretty casually, not you know, not putting too much pressure on him. He's a little bit later to mature in the head. Um, so I actually put him on cattle the other day for the first time because he was sort of getting a bit lazy on sheep. Mm-hmm. And I think, he'd be, think he's going to be pretty good. Uh, and I just actually got a... A bill, a two-year-old bill bitch, um, at, who's out of an alpine dingo, probably like the one of the last yeah, well. alpine dingo um, daughters. So, yeah, she's she's two-year-old, not a lot done with her. Um, so it'd be cool to see how how I can develop her as well. And a bloke that starts with a kelpie part. A team of collies. What's going on there? Um, oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I think I always, I always thought I wanted Kelpies, but um, my, I had, I had that red and tan Kelpie when I was in the Hawkesbury, and I bought when I moved to Goulburn, I bought a collie with a, you know, a little bit of Kelpie in it, but. Collie Beach called Ida from Dave Bennett up at Grafton. And yeah, she just changed my mind. Like she that that dog taught me everything. And I'll swear by it, like it's the best thousand bucks I've ever spent on a female because she taught me so much. Um and she's still, yeah, she's she's still with me today. She's 13 and a half and um, you know. She's she just lives in the house yard now. Pops over the yards if we're over there and just sits under the truck and and watches us. But says good day. Yeah, says good day. Won't won't come and work. She knows she's not quick enough. Um, yeah. So I don't know that that she she's probably what changed me across to to collies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you've obviously mentioned a few Aussie bloodlines and. UK bloodlines. There's a question here from Jacob Ryan. He's asked, do you prefer the UK blood over the Australian blood collies? If so, or why not? 
Um, what are the advantages and disadvantages of both of those lines, in your opinion? Um, I think yeah, the UK works for me. So yeah. uh, just because I, I like them being a lot more direct um, and, and that's what I've found has worked, you know, or, or that's the, the dogs that I've had with the UK blood are quite direct. Um, not taking it away. Like, I, I, I really want a pup from, you know, a fellow like Dave Steele at Kuwait Border Collies, um, and he's got some really, you know, good, solid Australian lines there as well. Um, yeah, so it, it's just what suits me. Is, is that UK with a little dash of of, um, of Aussie stuff and maybe a little bit of Aussie, you know, a lot of Aussie dash with a little bit of UK works too. But, um, yeah, I, I'm happy with it. So I'm sticking with it at this stage, yeah. Do you find those lines a little bit more biddable? Um, yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, like Bill's... Other than the fact that Bill's mother was bred here, like she, Bill's full UK, and I can I can put that dog, you know, anywhere. Um, my Aussie bred old girl, she was a lot more heading instinct, you know, um, and she was a lot or a lot harder to get off the head, and I don't I don't do a lot of, you know balance work at work like I'll, I'll just work however the paddock allows me to sometimes it might be you know i'm 200 meters off my stock because i can't actually get to them um you know because of the terrain so i've got to have my dogs you know trailing behind them and not trying to fight me to get to the head and you know or um or other times you know i, I might get into a paddock and flick ahead and let them balance up to me because I'll flick ahead and go and open a gate and, and just wait at the gate. So, it, yeah, I feel like for me what's worked with, with the UK stuff is that they're a lot easier to come in and, and settle in behind and drive yep. um, and, and drive away rather than not necessarily, you know, drive stock by themselves but just drive away from me if I need to. And, and do you find those UK lines that you're using, they work lower? Or, or they set themselves up higher? Uh, yeah. Um, and the reason I was going to ask that, because I noticed, like, if you speak to someone like Coxie, for example, talks about dogs working under their sheep opposed to working higher. And I was wondering if if you experienced that with cattle, how you found cattle flowing off those dogs that worked lower to the ground than those dogs that presented themselves up higher. Yeah, I can't, I can't say I've ever noticed anything like that i'll probably go out tomorrow and <laughs> have a squeeze and have a squeeze yeah. um i know you know like a, a dog like sky she's only got to float past the eye line of a beast and they turn and she's she's a dog with the darkest eyes of of any of my dogs and i know you know some of the old fellas like the john hollingdales and nicholson's they used to talk about that stuff a lot, like real dark eyes in their dogs. And, um, you know, I find it interesting. It's yeah. probably just anecdotal hearsay, but, yeah. And like yellow yeah, eyes, like upsetting stock. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, cool. And do you uh, most of your, do you find your dogs like do you like a team of similar style of dogs or every, does every dog have to bring something different to the table? Um, I'm I'm happy for <coughs> excuse me. I'm happy for dogs to bring something different to the table, but I also have a bit of a prerequisite that I prefer to be able to go to my kennels and pick any of my, you know, any of my going dogs and just take them out and move 50 steers, 50 bulls, you know, like dry cattle by themselves and do a job. Um, Cause then I can put individual time on a big mob, you know, a, a bigger group of cattle on them as well. So they've got to have enough in them to be moving that. And a lot of people, you know, some people might disagree with, with my reasoning there, but um, yeah, I, I just prefer to be able to take one dog out. So they've sort of all got to be pretty similar. Um, Bill doesn't have any backhand bite, but Cap and Sky do. So I know if I'm going to be coming up to a creek crossing or something, that is going to be tough that I've, you know, got to take one of those two dogs to make sure it's going to happen. Um, yep. Yeah. Speaking of, like you mentioned backhand bite and crease there, any bark in your team? Uh, no, no. Uh, could you could you see bark being useful in your team at all? Um, I get real anxious when dogs bark. Like if yeah. my dogs are going off right now, you'd see my, my head just probably about to burst. Yeah. So I, I just dis I really dislike bark. I can see it as a useful tool um, moving yeah. dry stock. For sure, um, yeah, and, and and yeah, people people use it to to help them cross creeks and and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I'm happy without it, so I'll stay without it. Let's go. So, what do you like to see? Um, you know, young pups starting out. What does it need to show you? Um, it's got to show me instinct and drive, and from from there, you know, I just develop a bond with it. Like, I, yeah, I don't do a lot with my dogs until they're a fair bit older. Uh, I'll put some good foundation, you know, like a stop and 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 lead work and, and stuff, and just put them around sheep every now and then. But I only have four sheep here at the moment. And we have, um, you know, over over fourteen hundred head of cattle. So I'm better off. Like I can't I can't take a six month old pup to work. Um, so I need to, yeah. I just need to let them grow up a bit and let them let their bones develop. And um, as long as they've got they've got the instinct, I know it'll come out if they're bred for it. Um, you know, look. I only get something that I know he's he's bred well. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, you haven't got an overly big team there either for, you know, having access to so much cattle. No, I don't. Um, but I haven't found like I need to. Like we've got a 500-odd, you know, stud cow herd um, and anywhere between, you know, it can be anywhere between three and 500 in the – the a mob of cows, dry cows at a time, but 
I'm happy just running two or three dogs on them. Um, two is easy enough. Like they're easy cattle, easy enough cattle to move. Every now and then they might get a bit tough somewhere. Um, but yeah, I don't. I think if I had, you know, if I had another three fully trained dogs under me, they'd just be getting wasted. Yeah. And, and that's pretty cool to recognize that as well. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, uh, it is right. Why, why go and have all these numbers and then having dogs sit in the kennel all the time and rotating through? And you know, if if you're educating, you're obviously educating your stock good enough to not having to run school and dogs as well. Yeah, and I, I'm not the only person that moves stock on on the place either. Like, there's three of us here, so um, you know, it, it gets split fairly evenly. Um, I don't, yeah, as I said, I don't do all the stock moves. And the other two don't have dogs, but they're happy without them. Um, yeah, if, if I'm only doing a, th- a third of the stock moves, I don't don't need a, a stack of dogs. I probably, if I was doing two thirds of the stock moves, I'd probably still have the same amount of dogs. Yeah, nice. You said you don't do much with your with your young dogs until sort of that twelve months old. What is it that you're doing in that, you know, first 12 months so that allows them to be ready to take to work? Because obviously um, you have a dog that, you know, isn't showing instinct, doesn't have a stop or recall, something on it to be able to take it to work. So what are you doing in that time beforehand? So I, I use a combination of a few methods, like um, lead lead and, and lead training and, um, and using a, a stop train on... On a young pup, uh, sort of same same age as Jamie Starrick does, and sort of watched a, a bit of what he does, and and use those methods. Um, I've been lucky enough to be taught a few of, you know, a few sort of pressure and recall methods of Jake Nowens, and I, I do do a bit of that stuff, um, get them balanced up on sheet, and then just start. You know, we're we're pretty lucky. We can just go and pull five balls out of our facility and, um, you know, five little yearling bulls and, and just work them. And they're pretty nice. They're, they're pretty easy to work. Um, so I just build up from there, like, you know, sort of 10, 12 months old, go from there with the young pup and, um, you know, try and, try and get them to, to ride a motorbike a bit. Um, and then, yeah, we just we go go from there like cat i'd really done not a lot with cat until he was about 12 months old and i went oh i better pull my finger out and you know i'd pull him out of the cage you know, every day to, to take him to work yeah. yeah he's 18 months old now and, and i'm really happy with how he's going so what are those things that you you know you like to make sure you have before you do take him out then like is there you know something or is it just um, stop, basic, stop, basic stuff? Yeah, stop recall and um, and a balance. Um, yeah. So and, and really, it's gonna as long as they're sort of the, those foundations are there, they're going to the wheels will fall off with a young dog, like it's guaranteed. And that's why you can't beat real work, in my opinion, for that stuff. Is like just get your young dog out there and. Um, you know, as long as you can call it back or get yourself into a position that 
you know, you can stop it and then call it to you. Um, that's, yeah, that's to me really important. So, so that lead work, is, is that you having that dog in the lead, just asking it to walk next to you, asking it to stop, putting a, a cue to the stop? Um, and, and how often would you do that? Um, yeah, so that's that's walking in, walking next to me in circles. And um, as Jamie teaches, it's like he teaches, uh, and my understanding, sorry, of, of how he teaches it is, if you do one circle clockwise, you do one circle anti-clockwise. Uh, if you do two circles clockwise, you do two circles anti-clockwise. Um, so you're not, you know, like sort of like still trying to just keep that dog balanced in its own head. Um, I mean, dogs always end up one-sided or heavier to one side than, than the other in my experience anyway, but just trying to get that foundation there. And and a stop, so that's just on a, on a um, slip lead. And, yeah, just a stop, just a, a down stop on them. Um, and it can be done, in, yeah, in a few different ways. Um, but usually with a with a slip lead and and just the word stop. Yeah. yeah. And, and you, and you like your dogs hitting their guts when you ask for a stop? Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? Um. To be honest, I just prefer the look of it. Yeah. If if they're on the ground, they're they're stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. If they if if it's a stand, if I tell them teach them to stand, then then that's fine. That's a stand, but they can still just take a step forward. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I just just prefer it stop. It's it's somewhat too like it it can switch the presence off a little bit. Like it takes them being these big, you know, yeah, big four legged dog to it just takes a little bit of size out of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've then got all those you, you, your basics on that dog. You then take it to work, and what sort of jobs are you doing with it? Um, look, it can be a simple. Well, the 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 early early stuff is just moving from you know one one paddock to another. Like, you know, as long as it's just through a gate. Yeah, I might have that dog on the back of the ute, uh, back of the bike for half an hour, and then we get to the gate, and I let it off, and I let it do that that final bit through the gate, whether it be with another dog or, or not, it doesn't really matter. It's usually better to go with another dog in my, for my sake. But, um, yeah, it's always just just small starts. Mm-hmm. Just calmly get them through the gate. And then once we know we can do that, then we go, we do a little bit of balance up work, um, you know, in the paddock and work off work off fence lines. And pretty lucky we've got laneways on, on the home block that is where most of most of our work is done. So, yeah, I can just stick to one side of the laneway and, and let them, you know, or, or lead up in front and just let them tail off behind. And with that particular setup, are you relying on on a bit of cast or not too much? You prefer to go out and just drop your dogs out a bit? Um, yeah, look, it varies. So, um. Sometimes, like, our cattle will just draw to us anyway. So, yeah, a, a good cast, a nice big, wide cast isn't always necessary. But when we go out to the hills, um, I need that cast and I need a dog to be, like, scanning for more stock. And 
doesn't matter. Like we're going going back to dogs that complement each other in a team. You know, one dog can be always kicking out, and the other dog can just be. You know, it'll learn. It, they, I watch them. I watch them learn off the other dogs. So I'm fine with that. Um, but yeah, cast is a big cast. To me is important. Um, only because I know the country that I'm in. Yeah. Cool. So I'll just run down a note here I want to bring up with you a bit later. Oh, um, oh dear. <laughs> there's, a, there's a question here from Mark Mangold. He's asked, if you have a young dog that appears to lack up walk strength and wants to get sticky at the rear of the training mob, do you think that eventually do you think that eventually command over instinct will correct this problem or will the dog always revert back to its original? And, and stay sticky. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't know that I could answer that with full knowledge. Um, I think you could you could overdrive a dog to make it do it, but you might be fighting that dog. And I, if I had to fight that fight that dog to do it all the time, I would probably move it on anyway. Just find something more that suits you rather than go and yeah. have to try and have that argument more frequently. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I want a dog to walk up and and freely walk up and you know on a on a training mob, you know, take him out onto onto fifty. You know, it, it might it might change. Um, you know, if if that's developed on the training mob over some time because maybe it's getting bored of the trainers. Um, and, you know, it's like, oh, well, we're just going to go out here and we're going to move them from this side of the pen to this side of the pen to that side of the pen. Well, maybe that's – it could just be instinctively in the dog that they know they're not going to – they don't need to do a lot on that little group of sheep. Yeah. Actually, speak, speaking of, Arthur, on the back of that question, like how important is it identifying natural strength to you and what is natural strength to yourself? Um. Well, natural strength on stock, on cattle to me, is a dog that's going to hold its position um, and and hold its line and, and, you know, ask a question if it if it needs to. Um, you could say, I'm happy for a dog to take a step out of the way and, you know, realign itself to then ask the question again. Like, but if a dog, you know, turns and hightails at 20 metres, well, I don't, I'm not looking for that. That, that to me is not strength. Um, I want something to, to stay there and, and hold itself and just keep asking the question until it, until the animals move. Uh, and generally, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot. They learn, cattle learn pretty quickly. I've, I was taught a little while ago, back to the, the John Hollingdale um, and, and Ian Nicholson stuff, like, fellow called Brian Allen, who lives up the road from me, he's a mentor in my dogs that, um, you know, he said to me, always let your cattle come onto your dog when you're breaking them in. Don't let your dog go onto the cattle. He said they'll learn a lot quicker. Uh, and so I, I look at that and if, if the cattle come on and the dogs hold their line and they ask the question, then that's fine. Um, but if the cattle are walking onto the dog and, and the dog just, without even yeah. hesitating, just turns around, well... That's not going to be a dog that's going to suit me 
in the long run. What if you have a young dog that you really like and it's not showing you all that natural, like it's not giving ground, but it's not 100% confident. How do you go about building strength in a pup like that? Or do you, does that not suit you? I'll just keep I'll, I'll keep taking it to work for a while. I'll give it benefit of the, like give them the benefit of the doubt. Yep. I think as handlers, all too often we sack our dogs too quickly for for things like that and don't give them the opportunity to grow and and develop in the situation. So I'll just leave that dog out with you know with Bill and and let it develop and and learn watch watch Bill work and and um and have Bill teach it how to shift stock a bit and they gain confidence. Like dogs can't be confident on cattle the first time you you put them on there because yeah. you can guarantee, you know, like first time I, I go and tell you know, Harper when she's 10, go and move these cattle, she'll be fine because she's been around them whole, her whole life. But 10-year-old me would have been a different story. Like I would have tailed her out of there as well. Oh, I know, 100%. <laughs> Mate, you've mentioned Bill a few times there. Mate, is that Bill behind you there over your right shoulder? Yeah, Lauren Lauren took that photo just after we started dating. Yeah. She she worked for about half an hour trying to get that shot <laughs> and, um, and she nailed it. Job. The one over the bed head is bigger again, is it? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, so how definitely. many times is that picture in the house then? Uh, that one, it is only this one. <laughs> <laughs> mate, what obviously Bill holds a special place in your heart, mate. What what is it about Bill? Um, he's just my go-to dog. Like he, he is and has been for a long time, Mr. Reliable. Um I had, yeah, my, my first man's dog I got, like he was only five when um when he when he died on me and like oh, if I had the two of them together in full prime, like I'd I only need two dogs. And he's probably the reason too that I have such a high expectation of of what I'm going to use on you know, I say fifty bulls and one dog. Well, I can blame him for that if it all turns pear shaped and I can't find that in ten years' time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Mate, so, so you, you're right, Laura. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you've mentioned a few times, like, you think that people move dogs on too quickly um, and all that. So there's a question here from Ryan Ackers, and it's, do you think dog auctions becoming more popular are a good thing for the industry, or are they bringing out people just looking for a dollar? How do you think we monitor and control these people in the industry to keep only the better dogs being sold? Um, I think the auctions have been a great thing in the last you know, seven or eight years, 10 years. And they can continue to be a great thing. But I I feel like there needs to be, you know, the auction committees, in my opinion, and I'm going to upset people here, but auction committees need to take their due diligence and watch the videos properly of the sale dogs and say, no, we don't want this dog in the sale. If they don't, if they don't think it's worthy of being sold in an auction, like it's their auction to hold the repu- you know, they've got to have their reputation on the line. Um, and the agents, like agents, are making pretty good money on these auctions. And if they're not bringing the buyers, 
Um, and, and, you know, there was an auction only recently that was a huge passing rate. Now, was that because the buyers weren't there? Was that because people haven't valued their dogs the same as the market values their dogs at the moment? Um, yeah, you know, like I wasn't there, but I looked at the results and thought, geez, that's, that's pretty scary to see all those dogs passed in. Um, we, we're in the livestock industry and the, the cattle and sheep prices have plummeted. Yeah. So we need to expect that dog prices are going to drop as well. Like we can't think that the dog that made $15,000 last year isn't worth $15,000 this year. Mm. And that's just, that's because the livestock game, the sheep and cattle have dropped. Yeah, um, the market's yeah. gone in it. Um, and that's, again, that's my opinion. It's going to upset people. But I would think maybe, a, you know, an independent committee of people should be valued. A vetting committee, someone that vets, goes, all right, we've got to be of this standard and this yep. we want that's this many in this category, this many in this category, and if they don't meet, meet a particular standard, well, sorry. Yeah, and, and if if the, the committee says or the panel says, we think your, um, your dog is not worth, you know, we think you're, you should drop your reserve, if you want to sell your dog, we think you should do it. Then that committee should have the right to to do that. Like they they've got to uphold their own auction. That doesn't um, mean the vendor has to drop it, though. Well, it doesn't mean the vendor has to drop it, but it also doesn't mean that the, if the vendor doesn't want to drop it, and then the auction say, no, but that, yeah, that, the auction that's part of being a vendor, it. isn't it? Like uh, I guess that side of it comes down to vendors more than it does auction committees. Because, yes, they want their auction to look good, but if you value your dog more than what they do, well, someone might be willing to pay it. Like, it, I understand both sides because, yes, the committees are trying to make money and the auctioneers are trying to make money. But so is old mate selling his dog, and if he values it that, well, he wants to hope someone else does too, but he's got to – he can't just drop it because the committee wants to make money today. Oh, yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I agree with that. Like, and that's where – that's why it would get sticky with that that mm. idea um well i guess that's why real estate has all their all their laws don't they is so that yeah. it isn't yeah. sticky and it is what it is and um oh and there's still yeah there's still the agents that get around it and the, the people that get around it um but you know if if someone wants you know ten thousand for a dog and they put ten thousand dollars on the you know on the um reserve and it doesn't come near that in the bids, well, then if they're happy to take that dog home, then fine. But yeah. if they really wanted to sell that dog, then maybe maybe they didn't value or, or yes. look at the market correctly. Not just that price. There's, there's other investments going into that, right? Time, energy, travel, accommodation. Like There's, there's a lot of other times going that. So if dogs aren't selling, well, there's a lot of people let down as well. Yeah. You know, so I think if... If people have really put realistic um, reserves on their dogs, I think things should sail sweet. Yeah. That's also part of going to an auction, Daniel. Those costs are part of doing it. I think you can't budget that in. Yes, yeah, you but if to you're going to go to auctions with unrealistic free. figures, well, there's people yeah. left out of pocket all around, right? Not just the vendor either. 
right? So it, it, everyone's making an investment in, in traveling or in making part in getting there. That's part so. of selling your dog or your horse or your cattle at an auction. Those costs are part of it, whether you do it or not. If you don't want to include those costs or have those costs, then you need to sell privately no matter what you're selling. I'll, I'll be honest with the dog I put through the recent auction. I put those costs into my price. Yeah. Yeah. And I covered those costs on top of what I thought the dog was worth and came away without a dog and made the sale. So yeah. I, I was happy with that, right? But I'm, I know there are other people there that had reserves way above on expectations. And like you said, there was a massive pass on rate. Pass on um, rate. So. And, and how many of those dogs were, weren't were even bid on? Like, I don't think there, which is yeah. probably going back to Ryan's question a little bit too. You know, how do we how do we stop that from happening? Like if those dogs think, aren't even getting a bid, that yeah. means the market isn't valuing those dogs. Is it that all. or is it just that it's a bad time of year? You know, everyone's combination. struggling oh, in, yeah, every, combination. in every aspect of life. Like the economy is falling that quickly that I don't know that you can make a fair judgment at this point in time within just how, how life is going. Um, I, so. I think it's a combination of everything we've spoken about there. The whole lot, yeah, you know, and uh, it's just not, you know, what they say like the perfect storm, and at the moment it wasn't the perfect storm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was. It was the perfect storm for for a failure, I guess. Um, in that sense of cattle, like the markets of the livestock markets have dropped, and we're still trying to hold up, um, hold up high prices for our dogs, and you know. It's just not there. And there's an abundance of dogs, right? Oh, like, yeah. Like through COVID, everyone's screaming for dogs, not just for work, right? So a lot of people jumped on bandwagons and now there's an oversupply and little demand. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, with the last last 10 years of, of good solid auctions, maybe the sheep cockies you know, or, and cattle cockies that only need one, two or three dogs have their one, two or three dogs. And they don't, you know, these guys don't need a team of 10 because they're not going, you know, not going trialing, not going contracting. So maybe that might be another part to it. But it definitely has to play into it. Supply and demand. Hmm. Absolutely. Mate, speaking of, we mentioned obviously about breeding dogs here and you mentioned Bill a few times and Bitches by Bill. Do you breed many pups for yourself? Um. No, not not really. Um, I've bred two two litters in the last three years, and um, took one of those pups onto about eighteen months old, 12, 18 months old, and, and moved on because I just didn't feel like she was what I needed. But apparently, she's turned out. Yeah, she's um, it was probably me that was was giving her a lack of confidence. Um, I, I was the problem, not her. Uh, and then, yeah, last year we bred a bred a litter to build a sky, and um, main intention was was to to keep one or two for Lauren and I, and um, you know try and get them out. Like Alan Munns took one, and um, Louis Simpson's got one. Louis Louis doing amazing things with his. Um, she's a really handy little dog. Um, don't then, yeah. talk too much. He's going to get a big head. He's listening to it. So. He's got a big head. <laughs> no. Don't get any bigger than that, surely. 
Um, yeah, it's all right. Jakey can go and knock him down a peg tomorrow. <laughs> but and what was well, obviously you said you wanted to. Uh, your intention was to keep a couple for yourselves. Uh, what were you looking for? Um, I wanted to see how Sky would breed on, and um, I mean, I know, yeah, Bill's Bill's got everything I want, so just that combination of of dog, they're both both strong enough for me, and um, I just want, yeah, just wanted to see how she'd breed on, and and um, now they're yeah they're they're ten months old, so I'm going to start taking tracker out and doing a bit more on cattle with him, and and. Um, yeah, go from there with him. Yeah, I noticed most of your team are dogs there. Yeah, not intentional. Um, I don't – yeah, I don't know how that happened because I hate dogs fighting. Um, <laughs> and Bill and Cap scrap every now and then and, and it, it frustrates the, the buggeries out of me. But, yeah, I'd prefer, prefer to have a, a team of bitches and one main dog. But um, yeah, it just somehow hasn't worked out that way this time. Mate, speaking of breeding, there, there's another question here from Ryan Ackers. Uh, heterosis effects are well proven, documented, and sorry, are well documented and proven in cattle and sheep to maximise growth and fertility traits. Do you think we can use these same principles to maximise working dog breeding for confirmation and working traits? Or are people too caught up with the piece of paper attached to the dog to use these principles effectively? Um, I mean, the, the, the lamb industry's all over crossbreeding and hybrid vigor. Like they've they've got it nailed. You ask a prime lamb producer how to you know get you a good a good lamb, and they say you got to have a two or three way cross. Cattle, I'd probably disagree with a lot. Um, and that's because we're in the game of selling composite bulls and it's really hard to sell. doesn't matter how good they are. People just still want, um, you know, something that looks like an Angus. So, you know, you just, we just breed them with, you know, two black jeans to them and they'll try a black calf. Um, and, and, and they'll give all those benefits of, of hybrid vigor and heterosis, ex, added fertility, um, still marble, still have the muscularity. They get more growth as it's free. That stuff's free. But in terms of dogs, I think plenty of people have tried to breed crossbred <laughs> dogs. Um, you know, if, if structure is what's letting us down, then crossbreeding would really certainly help. Um, it's not often you see a really, you know, uh, it's not often you'd see a litter of say Kelpie, Collie, Cross, you know, first yep. cross, all work out to be well beaters. Um, but mind you, it's probably not often you'd see a, a full litter of straight Kelpies or straight Collies be well beaters, but the like, you know, they'll, they'll all, all work maybe bar one. Um, but, yeah, it's it's that, that first cross, you know, like uh, you look at Adam Robles' soldier, He's a crossbred and he's amazing. Like, and and he's breeding on, um, and he's breeding on to collie bitches and he's breeding on to kelpie bitches. So it's it's working there, but it doesn't always happen because um, even within even within the the collie game, you've got so much variation 
that you can kind of still kind of crossbreed without going outside the the walls yeah. of you know the collie game. Um, I know, you know, my team of collies is a. If I wanted to use one of Mick Hudson's dogs over Sky, he, he they they're a complete outcross to what Sky is. So it's kind of it'd be kind of like doing a crossbreeding anyway. It'd be quite an interesting thing to do because I think they'd both complement each other in, in some very good ways. But yeah, I. I I don't know that brain function comes into heterosis at all. I've never seen anything that, that says it does, and, and I could be wrong. But we're looking for working ability, not not production traits. So we're not looking for the growth rates. And, yeah, growth rates and extra fertility, yeah. um, which is where heterosis plays a big play. Man, I'm not going to even pretend that I've ever heard the word heterosis before today. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think I've got a kind of idea. That's what, what you read out before. Yeah, I'm like, oh, oh no, I won't say that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've never heard it before. But now I, I believe I've got some kind of an idea. So heterosis is referring to breeding out to get uh, a bigger animal. Well, or, it's it's crossbreeding to use advantage of, of you know. Better bone structure, better fertility. Um, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a free pass. So you put uh, put one animal that's nowhere near related to another animal, um, near the same species, but you get you get a free pass for fertility and, and extra growth because um, it's just yeah, it's a phenomenon. Yeah. So you saying with your dogs then? You aren't looking for like to like. You, um, you are looking for like to like rather than genetics, or or is that incorrect? Um, yeah, looking a lot more like to like in my team and what I will join to. I'm happy to go to something that's not related at all, but they've still got to have the same work traits. Um, yeah. yeah. So and also they've got to be, you know, genetically tested and, and compatible you know, genetic disease-wise. Mm-hmm. Mate, if you did, like, obviously you got um, one of the own pups that you bred there. Mate, moving forward, if you did want to breed your own dogs, like more of them, mate, what, um, are there any particular traits you'd love to put into your own line? Um, look, I'm, I'm pretty happy with what I've got. So I've got some real good direct walk-up in my dogs. Uh, and I know I can get a cast, good cast out on them. And as far as as far as I need to cast anyway, like it may not be as far as someone else does, but it's it's the nice big cast for me, uh, especially out in the Granite Hills. Um, they they'll all come and do a day's work with me. It's not like I'm you know worried about them packing it in or anything. Um, it's not. It's probably nothing I really like to add. Just maybe, you know, compliment, you know, just make sure I've retained strength on cattle. Um, I don't, I, I can't afford to do a breeding that none of the pups work out because 
you know, they can't hold a mob of cattle or can't shift a mob of cattle. Um, I've had, you know, the my old girl, she she was never able to do it by herself, but she was always very good at complimenting other dogs. Um, so breeding on from her isn't probably isn't really ideal for me. I, I'm obviously not going to do it now, but um, knowing what I know now, I, I wouldn't breed on from her because she doesn't have all the traits that I'm after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Actually, you touched on it in the way you started that conversation about for what you like and for what works for you. You think some people get carried away and not breeding for themselves? Yeah, I think they see the dollar. They, they might see the dollar signs. Yep. Um, at the end of the day, whatever I do has to please myself first. You know, like I'm not trying to compare. I, I, I'm not trying to compare to anyone else. I'm not trying to better anyone else. I'm trying to better myself every day. Yep. Um, so yeah, if I'm if I breed a litter. It's because I'm breeding a litter for me and the excess I will sell to people that want dogs like, you know, that will suit them. But I'm not doing a designer litter for someone else. Yeah. Like yes. if, you know, Dan, you came and told me to sell a Cavoodle, um, you know, Cavoodle cross collie to you, I, I wouldn't do it because I don't want one. Yeah. I know you do, but I don't. Oh, I was thinking like more like Collie Cross Maltese Terrier or something, but yeah, like Cavoodle will do. Right? They actually got a name like Bordoodles or something, I think. Um, you're all right there, Laura. So you're coughing up a yeah, lung there right. a couple of times. You turn your microphone off. You're okay? Yeah, yeah, we're all good. Um, you've mentioned a few times trialing, Nick. Yep. Love it. You obviously went out to Scone for the Australian Champs. Yep. Um, I do as much as I can get to like we don't have many cattle trials down our way like I'm, I'm a cattle specialist i would say because we've only got four sheep um so i'm not going to teach my dogs to to back four sheep um i just it's not in my not in my charter um but yeah like i get to as many as i can go to holbrook have been to holbrook every year since it started pete runs an awesome trial down there uh the cattle are always really good and you know he he's yeah he's just a good good fella too to get along with and and um and go and try with did the usd this year that was a, a flop um again two sessions of sheep that just I'm, i don't have sheep dogs um the trial was a flop or your dogs were flops oh no the the trial for me was a flop <laughs> you know like um every time i walk out of you know like a, a Paddock session with shave or three shave. I go, oh, I'm never going to three shave again. But that's just because, you know, like I don't have a dog. You just need to listen to Loz more. That's the problem. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought, I thought she'd help. I thought she broke your dogs in for you most of the time, anyways. Now, all these young no, ones. Uh, I wish you know. she did. I wish she did. But um, no. Um, no. And so, yeah, got, got to, to Tamworth, the cow dog that, Muzz ran with the <laughs> and that was that was cool. Like it's just a, a different style of trial. And then managed to get up to the Australian. Um, Zach and Grace and their team, like hats off. That was a really good weekend. 
uh, a couple of, you know, like extra events that you could qualify for under lights or, um, yeah, so made, with Bill made the top 25 for the maiden, novice and open. So made second round for all three of them. Um, didn't quite make it in the cow dog with him and, and only just missed out like with Cap in the cow dog. We got full course points, but the way that they take for the cow dog challenge, which is I think is really cool, the way they take dogs into the final isn't, you know, the top 20 scores. It's the top, you know, like top percentage out of each rotation or each round. Yeah. So the dogs that had fresh cattle at the start of the day might have only got three quarters way around the course. So they might have got 100 points out of 160. But dogs at the end of the day are getting the full course and dogs in the middle might, you know, might get a little bit further than the, the first dog. So it then just puts everything on back on a level playing field, in my opinion, and I think they did a really good job by by doing it that way. Um, there was five dogs, I think, in my rotation with Cap. I was second last out. We did a full course. Um, it was awesome. Like Then Charlie Brummel from up in Queensland came through full course and he was quicker than me. But they only took one dog out of that rotation. We were both on 160 points, but I was more than happy with him going through because I knew how that was. And I think that's a really fair way to do it. it. It's different to anything like I'm used to, or I suppose, and Laura as well. So, yeah, I haven't been exposed to that. And I can see the benefits of, of that as well. Especially with recycled stock. Yeah. yeah. So, sometimes, yeah, like sheep sheep can get better or worse through, throughout the day, how depending on, on the conditions. And cattle, you know, Cattle can be real funny. Like it might be sunny in the morning and they run really well. It might, you know, become overcast and cloud up and start to drizzle and they just, you know, get really hard and doughy and then go and put them out of lights and they can get better again. Like, so just, it just evens out that playing field. Um, and, yeah, and some people might only have one dog and it's a really good dog, but they get put up in the first round. And so because they're breaking, you know, well, not breaking the cattle in because they're already broken in, but because they're working the fresh cattle and they've never seen the course before, they've got it tougher than me who had my, you know, only half-trained dog there. And I had cattle and seen the course before. So they, they knew where they were going. I just had to help guide them. And that's why that's how I got around. Yeah, um, it can also work against you though if if those cattle haven't you know they've gone out but they haven't actually gone through the course or they've been crashed and bashed around the course. It can go against you too, can't it? Yeah, yeah, it could. Like if if yeah, poor stockmanship was displayed or something. But really, up there, it was yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Question just come through from Louis Simpson. Why oh, yeah. aren't why aren't there many cattle dog trials in the south? Um, if 
finding the arenas to do them in, finding the cattle close enough by people who are willing, like not necessarily willing to put the work in, but the people, you know, to put the work in to get them broken in. Um, donating them. Donating them. Like it's really hard to, to donate cattle. Like my boss wouldn't donate cattle to a trial unless, you know, if it wasn't for me. Um, so, and we'll we'll run one here eventually. It's just hard hard enough to get them off the ground. Um, we're running a few Canoundra, Reeds Flat, Watamandara a couple of years ago down here, and people move away. People, you know, one couple's moved away, and, and the other one sort of you know wound down his dogs a fair bit. So, and moved off the property where he was. Um. Yeah, like I know there are some facility hire fees that are just ridiculous down here. And like, how do you afford that? Yeah, yeah. Mate, I always, I know you're always up for a great idea. Oh, yeah. um, mate, what, if you could make any particular trial or any change to any trial, what, what would you like to see? I, I can already guess it. <laughs> no, I actually, I really like, I, I really like the concept that um, the cattle, challenges have yep. because they're points gained per obstacle and you're not losing points, you know, for being off course with your cattle. Um, if the cattle are tough and they're off course and your dog does really good work to get them back, we haven't lost points for them being off course. Mm. You, you get back, you get through the obstacle and you get your points rewarded for the obstacle. Um and the way that's set up, it doesn't matter if your dog working crosses, inside flanks, whatever you want to call them. It doesn't matter if that happens because it's set up that you're allowed to do it. Um, so I think, yeah, I think working <laughs> on, on that kind of scenario and if maybe you looked at the the working cow dog and said, right, I will run two, you know, run two different styles or um like i'd love to i'd love to have a crack at what the americans do you know they stand in one spot in their arena for the majority of their run <laughs> and they'll go and help and they'll do a draft through a maltese cross or a, or a tea draft or something but they're in one spot and they're putting their dog all over that arena and it doesn't matter if the dog crosses them it doesn't matter if the dog comes behind them as long as the dog's working their stock and they achieve the job. So, yeah, I reckon if we, if, if anything, um, running a, a trial like, like what Mars and Zach and Grace have run in the arena, Tamworth and Scone, um, but then also, you know, if we could run two days, run one like that and then muck around and run one, um, you know, American style. Okay. Have, have you got an achievement you'd love to take out? Um, oh, look, a pat on the back from you, Dan. Would be oh, great. Sweet. We can organise that, mate. That's okay. No, I, I think it'd be, yeah, it'd be it'd be nice to win, you know, win an Australian, whether that be a maiden, novice or open. Um, nice to get there one day. May not happen for the next 20 years, but, you know, have a crack. Love it. 
as we move out of trying here, something I did want to bring up with you, I wrote down earlier, was I know you're a massive advocate for um, gut health in dogs. Yep. Probiotics, mate. Do you want to touch on, on that for us? Um, yeah, so I we use we use a product called ProNature. Um, it used to be called Protexin, which a lot of the, the horse people would uh, have heard of. International animal health products sell it. Um, and I can say, like, hand on heart, we're, we're not sponsored or anything, but I've spent a lot of time with the people that produce Pro Nature. And, you know, you, you always see people on Facebook going, oh, what's the best dog food? Because my dog's squirty. It's like, well, first thing you should be doing is making sure it's wormed and, and up like up to date. If it's two months after the worming, like worm it. Like it, you should be doing them every three months, which change of season for me, the first first day of spring, summer, autumn and winter, that's when I do mine. Um, but if I get a new dog, I'll do it too. Um, changing your, your dog's diet, like if you buy a new dog in, whack some protection into it for a week with its feed, and it just gets its um, you know, its probiotics for your dogs. Like we eat yogurt and want probiotics from our yogurt, or or some people drink your cult. Like we should be looking after our dogs in their guts as well. Yeah, absolutely. Good message. I love I love how much care you put into into your dogs, mate. Oh well, like. They're worth they're worth a lot, like, and I I need to make sure they're in tip top shape, so they get yeah, fed well. They get fed well, and um, yeah, I make sure their guts are their guts are right. If I feel like one of them's feeling a bit off, then we'll get a body worker in. I'll give them some protection, just make sure everything's right because I, I, you know, I need them to have good days. Yeah. Absolutely, in an investment just in your team and looking after another living being. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Mate, speaking of another living being, one I did want to just touch on there. You mentioned Lauren at the beginning there. Mate, how do you guys go? Do you guys train together often? Um, we, don't train, we, don't train dogs, we don't train our dogs enough, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if we... You know, we're sitting back on a lazy Sunday afternoon and one of us might look at the other one and go, hey, let's go and train some dogs. So we did that. Yeah, did that on Sunday after she got home from Cumnock and um, was, yeah, dark by the time we finished. So we we train and try and try and build each other up. Um, Does that always end well? Uh, look, I can't say. I can't say I remember a time it's ended not well. Yeah. So... That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. But, um, obviously, because she shares a massive passion as well for her dogs and especially um, health. Well, I love it. You guys share like that that passion for really looking after your team. Thanks, mate. That. Oh, you're more than welcome, mate. More than welcome. Mate, um, I think it's nearly that time of day. Oh, actually, no, it's not. Uh, mate, what advice would you give to someone that wants to pursue a career in the livestock industry? Um, just get out there and have a go. Like go and go and do a few, you know, go and do a few schools like stock handling, 
dog schools, um, you know, try and try and find uh, an operation that is willing to take you on and let, and let you learn. Um, and someone who's, you know, pretty passionate about what you want to do. Like if you want to get into cattle, don't go and work on a pig farm, um, you know, or a chook farm. <laughs> you want to work cattle. So get in there and just have a go. Like it's all right to make mistakes, but own them too. Like if you stuff up, just own it. And, and your bosses were well, a good boss and a good manager. If you make it, if, if you stuff up, they'll go, you know, that's all right. You're owning that, like we'll fix it. But if you try and hide it and, and sweep it under the rug, it'll get found out. Everyone knows it and you'll lose your job. Like they just, or, or the boss will just lose their temper because you're lying to them about it. Just be honest. That's that's a good that's a great message that you put up there. Like accountability, owning it, all over that one. I'm saying, and mate, who would you like us to? Who would you like to see us sit down and have a chat with? Um, I'd I'd really like to see Isaac Hotz. I'm gonna throw him in on it. Um, I'd love to jump in on and interview him as well while while we're at it. Yeah. Um. Hotsy probably because he he's a big influence. Like I've spent hours on the phone to him, like in you know 10, 11 o'clock at night, kind of thing, talking about dogs. Like he's a very knowledgeable man. Um, someone like uh, or Ryan Ryan Agers, be cool. Like he's got some pretty out there opinions and and views on on dogs. Like he won't hold back. Um. Jake Nowlin, be good. Good to hear from him. I don't know, I'm sure I'll I'll think of others, but there's probably even like just you know left of field blokes like a drover for for Thompson's livestock. You know, a fellow called Danny Quinn, who no one really knows him, but he's constantly in the yards at CTLX, like Carcor, you know, pushing cattle around or, or pushing sheep around, the yards at Forbes, the yards at Cowra, you know, and, and these guys have got really handy dogs, but nobody knows about them. Um, yeah. And they, you know, they're good stockmen too. So, yeah, Danny Quinn, I'm going to throw him in there. My boy, 7.30 tomorrow morning, I'm going to have a message from you with like 20 people and that's yeah. going to grow every day, isn't it? Add to our daily messages. Every second. <laughs> every second. <laughs> Add them to our daily videos. Yeah, no, no, we won't talk about them. Yeah. Mate, was there a question that stood out for you tonight? Enable we in a bag of enduro, hind you food for working dollars with real kangaroo, mate? Um, yeah, I reckon, I reckon Ryan's question on heterosist is just a full curveball. Is that because that's a big um, word? It's because you can't say it. <laughs> um, no, it, 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 it's a really interesting question and there's so much to it. Like we use heterosis and um, 
I think Lauren pointed out at one stage, like in, in the livestock or well, the sheep and cattle game, we use objective measurement. There's no objective measurement or EPVs, EPDs, EBVs for, for dogs. And I don't know that you could ever do it. Um, so, yeah, I just I don't know how you could effectively utilise crossbreeding dogs like that. But, yeah, it was pretty cool curveball. Beautiful. Well, um, we'll get in contact with Ryan and get his details. And Nick, a bag coming your way as well for um, being our guest tonight. So I'm going to send send mine to um to Rough Track if that's all right with you guys. Right, we can yeah. organise that, mate. Thank you very much on behalf of Rough Track. I'd like to thank you for that, and we'll uh, we'll get that bag off off to the young they're fellas doing, out there. They're doing an amazing job. So yeah, send it their way, please. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, one last question as always, because you've asked us, but we've never asked you. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? Um, oh, one duck for sure. I'd ruffle its feathers like nothing else. <laughs> I believe it too. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, definitely one duck. Would you fight it or tickle it? Oh, Probably pluck one of its feathers and then try and tickle it with its own with feather. That feather. That's yeah, see if it works. Uh, no, if not, doubt. if not, jump on it and see if it can fly. Oh mate, oh, you'd be good for a good one, <laughs> buddy. I thanks. didn't even think about it. Either. I knew it was coming. I, I didn't even think about it. <laughs> BS. You've been planning that one no. for eighty-one episodes. No, no, hand on, hand on heart, I. Do not. <laughs> Mate, thank you very much for jumping on tonight. Really appreciate your time. Um, Laura coughing a lung up there. Thanks for jumping on tonight. Um, as always, she without her, there's no show. Um, everyone listening, thanks for jumping on listening um, and your questions. Thanks for everyone listening back. And please remember, we learn every day, and the day we stop learning will be a sad one for all of us. Thank thanks, you. guys. Good night, guys. See ya.